So, for this year, we have started a series called Gospel-Centered Church, and, and last week we didn't talk too much about this in particular because we wanted to just start with the picture of God's glory, right? God sitting on the throne at the center of all reality in all of the universe, and we wanted to just sit under that, right, and observe that and have our hearts drawn toward that. And um, what we will be talking, because you have to start with that picture to even get to really the, the church and what it means. And um, what we will be getting into for the next several weeks is, you know, because what does it even mean to be a gospel-centered church? Um, and I'll just put it this way simply. It's a, a gospel-centered church is a church that's built on, driven by, and always advancing the gospel. You know, a church that is built on, driven by, and always advancing the gospel. This, in essence, is kind of our mission, you know, the mission of the Exchange Church, to make much of Jesus by raising up gospel-centered disciples through gospel-fueled worship, gospel-empowered community, and gospel-driven multiplication. That's really, that's what we are trying to do as a church. That is our, our vision and our mission and our purpose. And you know, what we're going to be talking about today is, is one of the, found, well, really the foundational aspect of that, how to do that. And it is God's word. It is, God's word is, it's, it's not just part of what the church does. The, the church is predicated on God's word. It, it's not just part of Christianity. It is, it is the essential, it is an essential foundational part of Christianity. And, and my goal really today is just to get us to understand and believe that, to be convicted in that, to want to step into obedience for that. And I'll just, like I did last night, I'll give you the main idea right now at the beginning. I'm trying to keep it to just one main idea. Because, you know, three is, seems like too much, and more than three is certainly too much. And so here's the main idea for today's message. A gospel-centered church is one filled with people that are convinced that the Word of God gives life, guidance, and conviction that cannot be found anywhere else or in any other thing. Okay, what is it, what is it to be a church? It, it's a gospel-centered church. It's to be convinced it's to be utterly convinced. It's to be utterly convicted that, that the word of God, that this gives life and guidance and conviction, that life and guidance and conviction are found in this that cannot be found anywhere else or in any other thing, in any other study, in any other person, in any other news, in any other place, that it can be found only here. Only in this. And, and my goal today, by the power of the Spirit, is that we will leave here convinced that that is true. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. And we're going to start in Ezekiel. And we'll read through this passage. It's a very visceral passage. Um, and we'll be kind of jumping around a little bit in Scripture today. We'll look at some other passages as well. But this is Ezekiel chapter 37, and um, we'll, we'll read all the way through it, uh, 37, 1 to 14. And this is God's word, and it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, 
And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Okay, so we'll pause here for a second. Now, Ezekiel, um, you know, Ezekiel is a, is a, was a prophet, you know, to God's people. And, and at this point in this narrative, um, Israel certainly felt kind of dead and helpless. And that, as much as stated, you know, later on in verse 11, but they've been through, they've been in exile. So they've been conquered and they've been in exile. They've been cast out of their land for at least 12 years. It's not, you know, exactly, we can't, you know, the exact dates are a little bit, um, conf- you know, we're unsure, but at least 12 years they've been exiled from their own land. And of course that was God's promised land, right, to his people. So they've been cast out of there. They've been, the temple has been destroyed, you know, they've been conquered. They're, they're being oppressed by another nation. And so they're going through this very difficult time. And so Ezekiel is called to prophesy to his people, and God gives him. Ezekiel's kind of a weird book, too. Like, if you read it, it's, it's, there's a lot of weird things that are happening. Like, God tells him to just, like, lie on his side for a certain amount of time. He calls him to eat, like, really weird things. And, and there's, there are these very interesting kind of visions that happen throughout Ezekiel. Ezekiel 37 is one of the most kind of known ones, though, where God puts Ezekiel in a valley of dry bones. And you guys, you know, if you know this, like, these dry bones, you know, you know that song. It's really, it's, about, it's from this passage, right? If you've ever wondered, like, this song's weird. Like, have you ever thought that? It's from this passage. And so um, he comes and he says, look at these bones. And he says they're very dry. That, in essence, he's saying they're very dead. Okay, like these bones have been dead for a long time. And God asks him, he says, you know, son of man, that's just, you know, way to say human in this case. And he's just saying, uh, can, the, can these bones live? Right? Can these bones live? And Ezekiel probably wants to say no, <laughs> right? It's just a, a valley of bones. But he says, oh, Lord, you know. And then God tells Ezekiel what to say. He says, prophesy over these bones, and this is what you'll say to them. Now, that it's, not, it's not that weird for the book of Ezekiel because God tells him to prophesy to, like, trees and mountains and stuff. But to me it would be weird if God said, you know, Joe, you know, go to the cemetery and, like, essentially preach. Preach to the dead bodies there. I would be like, that's weird, <laughs> right? Like, is this God? Like, who's telling me to do this? This is weird. If he said, come here, and there's no people here, he just says, preach to the pews. I don't know, God, are you sure? Like, that sounds weird. Now, that's what God tells Ezekiel to do, and Ezekiel does it, right? So verse 7, it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. 
And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Right? So it's very interesting that this is what God says. God puts Ezekiel in this valley of dry bones, and of all the things he could say to him, he says, preach to them. Preach to the dead bones, whatever I tell you. And he preaches what God tells him, and the bones, the dead bones, come to life. They start coming together. And then it's a sinews, you know, kind of the, like, tendons and stuff start forming over them. And then flesh comes over them, but they have no breath of life. Verse 9 says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So then he says, Prophesy to the breath, the breath of life. Again, God doesn't say, this is what I'm going to do. Right? He doesn't say, like, watch. He doesn't say, watch, Ezekiel, and the, you know, the bones come together, and the, you know, whatever, like the flesh comes on. The, and he says, what just happened? Like, did you see what I did? No, he says, Ezekiel, you, you, I'm going to tell you what to say. You preach my word, and you watch what happens. And life comes into them. Dead bones come to life. He says, they don't have the breath of life, though. And you preach to the breath of life and tell the breath of life to come into them, and the breath of life comes into them. And then verse 11, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut, we are clean, we are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord." This is a visceral illustration of the power of God's word, right? The word of God, the word of God uniquely gives life to dead hearts. The word of God uniquely, the word of God provides life for us that can be found nowhere else in no other person, in no other thing, in no other place. Nothing else in all the universe can give you life like God's word can. Not money or status, not good food or good drink, not adventurous travel or exotic adventures or a lot of leisure, not any person or word of affirmation or approval from anyone around you. None of those things can give you life, can give life, can speak life into a dead heart like the word of God can. And I don't, I don't mean to say that any of those things are bad. Those things aren't bad by any measure. But I have to say, there's no life in them. There's no ability to create life there. 
They will never, never breathe life into, into dead bones, into dry bones, no matter how much you beg them to or you hope them to or you trust them to. They won't do it. The word of God is uniquely, it is uniquely what we need. So when you sit under the preaching of God's word, you are positioned to receive life. When I say when you sit under, I mean you come here expecting life to come from the Word of God. I mean, there's nothing special about what I'm doing. I'm just doing my job. Right? Like Ezekiel, there was nothing particularly special about what he did. He just repeated God's Word. But God's Word, in God's Word, there is certainly something special that's happening if we step into this time with faith, with hearts, open, receptive to the Spirit. This is, um, this is Psalm 119, right? And I, I go back to Psalm 119 all the time to, to just think about how beautiful God's Word is. And this is Psalm 119.14. It says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. That means a wanderer. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now, if somebody asked you, what is the Bible like? How would you respond? I'm just guessing, for many of us, it would not be this way, right? Like if somebody said, what, what is it like to, to you know, I want to, you know, your, non, your non-believing friend comes up and says, hey, what is, what is the Bible like? And you say, you know what? In the way of these testimonies, right, I delight as in all riches, Right, when you tell a story about something good that's happening in your life, how often does it come out of here? You know, is it about, like, your job? Is it about, you know, some relationship, somewhere you went, vacation, right? You had fun, you ate this food, you did this thing. Do we delight in the testimonies of God as in all riches? Is our soul consumed for longing with the rules of God? Right? It doesn't say the love of God. It doesn't say the grace of God. It says the rules of God. The rules, the law of God is a delight. My, <clears throat> my soul is consumed with longing for them. Okay, listen to me carefully when I say this. <laughs> if we don't feel this way about God's word, we're missing out. We are missing out on some deep delight that's, that's here. Now, I've worded that carefully because I'm not saying you're doing something wrong. Because oftentimes I think, I don't know if this is generational or cultu- cultural or what, but somehow when, when I say something like that, like you're missing out on God's word, what you hear is you're making a mistake. That, that's not what I'm saying. Right, like if, I, if I were to say, you need to try this burger, 
Like, I'm not saying you've made a mistake in your life. Like, your whole life is a mistake because you've never had this burger. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this burger is really good, and if you don't eat it, you're missing out on something delicious. That, that's what, if I say you're missing out, that's what I mean. If I say you have to watch this movie, you're missing out. If you don't see it, then it means you're missing something delicious, something good, something enjoyable. And so when I say, if this is not our heart toward God's word, then we're missing out. I'm saying there is something delicious, enjoyable, amazing, contained here that, that, that we're, not, we're not getting. And if we don't have this kind of deep affection and enjoyment, I just want to say, I don't think it's because the Bible is boring. I think it's because we simply have not discovered all of the beauty and glory of it yet. And look, if that's where you're at, that's okay. Like, that's, that's, that's totally fine. All I don't want, if you're a believer, okay, and that's your heart, then that's fine. All I want to say is, don't let that make you think that it's not here. That this is just boring and you have to suck it up and, and do it. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think that. I think um, if you're a believer, you don't feel a strong hunger for the word of God, then you got to seek it out. You got to seek it out with all your heart. That would be my, my, my challenge. I would say persist. Persevere. Because, because that's the intention, right? Like, like, the, like the, the woman who wanted justice, like the widow who wanted justice and kept, kept badgering the judge. Like the neighbor who wanted something and, and wouldn't stop banging on the door until he got it. Like the, the Bible itself talks about this kind of persistence. Because that's how you learn to dig deep. That's how you learn to have deep enjoyment of the word of God. And like it's something we need to understand. The way that the word of God speaks to us when we're deeply alone, like when we feel alone or depressed or anxious or when something happens, we lose a parent or child or friend or we fail like socially or aspirationally or morally, that's not the same kind of way that the word speaks to us through a coffee mug or an Instagram post, right? Like when you see the the words and then there's the ocean, you know, on the back and it's like, oh, that's nice, you know, nice kind of colored filter. Like, like, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But that, that's not really, like, the deep way that when we have affection for God's word and we trust in it, it's not a pithy, clever arrangement of words. It's deep truth that speaks life into dead hearts in a way that only God himself can. That's what's here. That's what's contained here. Not just like, a, you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Like, that's a clever arrangement of words, right? Cool. And I'm not saying that's bad. Like, those things are great. They help us understand certain concepts. But it's like, that's not, that's not the thing that's going to reach your heart when you're struggling. Right? That's not going to do something. That's not going to have you cling and have some anchor when you feel like you're floating in the world and you don't know what you're doing. When you hear God's word, when you read that word, you have access to life. 
You know what else, too? When you preach that word, when you share that word, you are speaking that life into someone else. That's, that is the power of God's word. Life that cannot come from anything else, from anywhere else. Secondly, the word of God uniquely guides God's people, right? If we look again here, God, what God does is he reveals, you know, he gives this picture, right? The picture of the the dry bones coming together. And then he essentially explains, like, this is what's going to happen. Right? Prophesying, saying, behold, I'll open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. So he promises them, he says, I'm going to bring you back into the land. They're in exile right now. They're, they're cast out of the land. He says, I'm going to bring you back into the land. And you shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I'll put my spirit within you. So he says, I'm doing this to reveal my glory. You're going to know that I'm the Lord. And then also I'm going to put my spirit in you. So there is something that's how ha- I have this greater plan where I'm going to put my spirit in you. And it's not going to be contained in this temple, this place. It's going to be in your heart. It's going to be with you always. Right? The, the word is, like, we have to understand, the word is unique in its ability to guide us. Um, that, well, I would, I'll just read this for you. This is a quote from, this is something I read. Uh, it's an absolute and unique teaching in all the world to teach people through Christ to live as if there were no law or wrath or punishment. In a sense, these laws do not exist any longer for the Christian, but only total grace and mercy for Christ's sake. Once you are in Christ, the law is the greatest guide for your life. But until you have Christian righteousness, all the law can do is show you how sinful and condemned you are. Right? So something happens when you understand the gospel. Right? When, and when this prophecy is being made, the spirit is going to be put in us. That's referring future to what's going to happen after jesus dies and resurrects then we have the indwelling what's called the indwelling spirit in us right so we have jesus with us and before that if you don't have that then the law is is condemning because all the law can show you is how you're a failure and a and a sinner that's all the law can reveal if you trust in the law for righteousness to become like a good person then all it can show you is how you can't keep the law because you keep failing at it. Now, when Christ is your righteousness, though, if you put your faith in Jesus and you say, all right, Jesus, you're the one who's perfect. I can't be perfect. You're the one who lived that life. You're the one who died in my place. You faced my punishment. You've taken on the wrath of God completely. There's nothing I can do. It doesn't matter how evil I am, how bad I am. No matter what I confess, what I've done, it's all covered in the blood of Jesus. Like when we accept that and when we declare that in faith, then the law changes because it's no longer the way that you become righteous. It's now just a guide for you for life. And then you're able to see, wow, this is really beautiful. Being able to follow God in this way. I see the character and nature of God. I see how generous God is and and how good it is to be generous like God. I see justice from God's perspective, and I see how good it is to step into God's way of justice. I see love. I see mercy. I see forgiveness. I see how it is, what it is to step into these things. And it's no longer about I have to do these things. Like if I don't do these things, I'm a bad person. It's about this is, this is beautiful and amazing. And I see that this is a better way of life 
and I want to pursue it because that's who God says that I am. God's word is far greater and far more important than a financial planner, a life coach, a therapist, a mentor even, or a discipler. Those things can help you get what you want, right? They can teach you how to manage your money well enough to buy a house or a car or to be able to travel. They can teach you how to manage your time well enough to have leisure and, like, eat well and drink well and, you know, party well. I don't know. And uh, they can teach you how to manage your emotions well enough so you don't have to experience despair and hurt and how to succeed or do well enough in your studies or in your work and how to save enough so that if something happens, you'd have security for your family. They can, they can do those things. I'm not saying they're bad either. Okay, again, I, in fact, they're, it's probably prudent, you know. But they can help guide you to what you want, but the Word of God can teach you what is worth wanting. They can help you live the life you desire, but the Word of God can convict you of what is a life worth living. It teaches you what is worth saving money for and spending money on. It teaches you what is worth your hope and your joy, what's worth your time and your effort and your sacrifice. The Word can unlock our hearts so that we don't need to be constantly distracted from our lives, but rather we can dive deeply into the life that God has for us every day. It can convict our hearts even of what's worth living for and what's worth dying for. And even when God's word leads us to death, he assures us through his word that death will serve us. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. Only the word of God can teach you that. The word is unique in the life that it gives and the guidance it provides. And finally, uh, the word uniquely convicts and moves God's people. And I'll just put it simply this way. Um, without God's word, there is no God's people. Without God's word, there is no God's people. Here's a, here's a quote from uh, Martin Luther. It says, The church was born by the word of promise through faith, and by the same word, it is nourished and preserved. That is to say, it is the promises of God that make the church, not the church that makes the promise of God. For the word of God is incomparably superior to the church. And in this word, the church, being a creature, has nothing to decree, ordain, or make, but only to be decreed, ordained, and made. For who begets his own parent? He says, the word of God births the church, right? The word of God gives birth to the church. The word of God is what leads and it gives life to the church, guides the church, moves the church. The word of God does all that. The church does not dictate what is to happen, right? Like dependence upon and reverence for God's word moves God's people in a way that nothing else can. Not great resources or a great system or a good book or a charismatic leader. Organizations and businesses and cults are built upon such things. But the church is built on the word of God. The word of God alone. 
this is from Acts, you know. And Acts is amazing because you see the church moving. You see all these things happening. But I encourage you, read through Acts and just, just look for the appearance of the Word or the Word of God. Because it's all over the place. That's what all they're doing is preaching the Word. Right? And, and, you know, when you look at, like, oh, but then look at their fellowship, you know, like Acts 2 and 4. And look at, like, look at like how, they, how they were generous to people and how they do Yeah, I mean, that's there, right? But the Word of God is everywhere. Like, that stuff's there. You can find it. You know, and then they, there's division of, you know, there's, like, an organizational structure. They make deacons, you know, and these things. They're doing these missionary journeys. And all that stuff is there. But the Word of God is, like, everywhere. They're preaching the Word of God. People are listening to the Word of God. People are receiving the Word of God. In fact, at certain points in Acts, like here, Acts 6, it says, And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see what it says? It says, the word of God continued to increase. What does that mean? They were writing more books of the Bible? No. What it means is that the gospel was spreading. And rather than saying the church grew, the way that they phrase it is the word of God increased. Because those things are synonymous. The word of God increasing is the church growing. See, in our, pers- in our you know, 21st century Western perspective is like church growth. What is church growth about? And you got to do these programs and you have to have things and let's do this and let's invite people. And do- Look, none of that stuff's bad. But it's not foundational. Right? The word of God is founded. The word of God expanding and spreading to people, that is the mission of the church. That is what the church is supposed to be about. So if we have a, you know, if we have a lackluster desire for God's word, that's like, you know, somebody trying to promote, like, the NBA that doesn't know anything about basketball. Yeah, go watch it, dude. Go watch these guys, like, you know, kick goals and, you know, I don't know, tackle each other. Like, you know, that's like, you don't know anything about it. How can you be promoting this? Well, you would say, well, that doesn't make sense, though. It's because we think the Bible, the Word of God, is just one thing. There's worship, there's missions, there's, you know, service, there's, like, community stuff, right? There's fellowship and community, you know, there's, there's all this kind of, there's so many things. And the Bible's one thing, it's one part of it. I remember, like, when I went to, I went to Mali, you know, several years ago, it was a country in Africa, and I remember I was sitting with a missionary, and I was asking the missionary. This is, in fact, this is basically the story of every missionary I've ever met. But, you know, we were asking him, how did you end up here? This is this Korean missionary. I had never heard of Mali. Some of you probably, you know, don't know where that is. You know, it's in Africa. It's kind of northwest Africa, big country, but mostly, uh, like, desert. Okay, Timbuktu is in Mali, <laughs> just, just for reference sake. You know, like when people say, it's Timbuktu, like where the heck is that? It's, it's in Mali. And so um, I'm thinking, how did this Korean dude, like, how did he end up here? Like, what is he doing here? So weird, right? And so he gave his testimony, and he, you know, he talked about how he was called there. And I thought, did something happen? Did he have a vision? You know, what? And no, he, he went to Isaiah 6, right, the calling of Isaiah. When Isaiah sees his sin, you know, and it's, it's represented in this kind of, well, God brings a coal, touches his lips, right, and says, like, your sin's taken away, essentially, and who will go for us, right? Who should I send and who will go for us? 
And he says, you know, here am I, send me. But what's right after that, if you read it, is basically it, he says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. So he's sharing this like during his testimony. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, it's a weird calling passage because essentially what, he's, what he was saying was he went there knowing that it was going to be hard and he was probably going to, within his generation, fail, essentially. Like the, the gospel was not going to be widely received. But he had, he had faith that God would do something in the next generation. And I was like, that's weird. Like, who does that? Particularly, and I was in college at the time, and I was all about like, oh, we're not doing enough, and we got to do missions, and like, look what's happening in the world. Like, this is happening, and that's happening. See, the thing is, those things don't create real conviction. Conviction doesn't come from knowledge of the state of the world. It comes from knowledge of the word of God. Real, like when the church really moves, it's because of God's word. This is a, another quote from Wolfhart Pannenberg. He's a theologian. He said, the fellowship of the church that the gospel establishes is thus a sign and a temporary form of the humanity that is reconciled in the kingdom of God. So the church being together, like the love and the fellowship, the community of the church is a sign of something that is established by the gospel. It says the humanity that is the goal of the event of reconciliation is the expiatory death of Jesus Christ. The gospel thus takes precedence over the church. Though the gospel is proclaimed in the church and by its leaders, it is not a product of the church. Rather, the gospel is the source of the church's existence. The proclamation of the gospel, then, is not merely one thing among others in the church's life. It is the basis of the church's life. The church is a creature of the word. I love that phrasing. You know, the church the church is to be a creature of the word. And I, I love that he didn't say, like, a child of the word. A creature of the word. You know, when, when you hear the word creature, what do you think about? Like, I think about some kind of animal, some kind of beast. You know, like, I don't know, like a Jurassic Park hybrid, you know, like DNA spliced, like freaky evolved beast. And like that's what I think about. That's it's a creature of the word. Not something that's just manufactured, you know, in some factory and some machine. Not even a not even a child. Some wild, untamed, unpredictable just creature. That is what the church is meant to be, a creature of the word of the gospel that we would allow. And look, this is all the gospel, right? I mean, 
you know, the, the, the foundational, the, or I should say the central message of the gospel is predicated on the work of Jesus. What has Jesus done? That he's God, became man. He died for our sins. That he rose again from the dead. That if we have faith in him, we can have eternal life. Yes, that is the central message of the gospel. But that message permeates all of God's word. And the, the deep, well, I, I heard this, you know, the gospel is not the diving board we jump from. It's the pool that we swim in. Right? And some of us, we can, we can stay in the shallow end of that pool or we can get as deeply into the gospel as is permitted. And we can enjoy all the depths of what God has for us and we can speak all the life that it contains for all of God's people and for people who don't know yet. A gospel-centered church is one that wholeheartedly believes this. Is utterly convicted, convinced. Do you want to know God intimately? Do you want to have conviction and passion for your life? Do you want to be compelled to go where you don't want to go? To do what you don't want to do and yet be able to sacrifice of yourself for the sake of God's glory and another's good and for the advance of the gospel. Then, then pick up this book. Pick it up. Open it up every single day. Devour it. Mine it like you're searching for hidden treasure. Study it like your life depends on it and like life is contained in it because it is. Let us strive to live out that kind of wholehearted belief in God's love revealed to us in his word. Let's pray together. And, you know, as we've been doing this month, I just want to offer us some time of, of prayer, you know, on our own. You know, let's spend some time confessing our hearts. Where are we? What are our affections? You know, what drives us? What excites us? Where is our hope and our passion and our joy? And if we, if we would like that, to be directed toward God more, let's pray for that. And the Bible tells us, you know, knock and seek and ask. If we do it, he'll, he'll listen, he'll answer. If we want faith, if you want faith, pray for faith. If you want passion, pray for passion. If you want discipline, pray for discipline and, and pray for accountability and pray that you'll have humility to submit yourself to accountability. If you want deeper roots, pray for greater persistence and perseverance. Ask God honestly and he'll answer. Let's spend some time.